At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Sports fans, golf fans, or just fans, welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon. Uh, I've got something exciting for you. Uh, it's been a bit, obviously, since uh, the last episode, but we have uh, we have some stuff in the works. We're looking forward to 2022, but before we obviously get to 2022, we just wanted to throw up some kind of best of episodes. I mean, we've had a lot of great moments, not just on this podcast, but on my, my former podcast, The Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. So today, we pulled together some of the best interviews I've done over the last years with some of the big names in media, names like Jim Nance and Rick Riley and Scott Van Pelt and just some of those people in and around golf that obviously are, are monumental in what we're able to kind of listen to and enjoy over the years. So this is that. I mean, when you dive back into the archives of the clubhouse, you kind of forget uh, the early days of podcasting, especially golf podcasting. And uh, not only was it very easy to get people, but it was always a, a lot of fun to just kind of have them on and show the ropes of podcasting in general, because, you know, as we all know, everybody in the world has a podcast these days uh, was not the case five, six years ago. So we thought this would be a lot of fun. We've got a couple of these uh, that we're going to roll out in December and and then start of 2022, I think you're going to really enjoy what we have in store for the podcast because it's going to be uh, enlightening and it's going to be another look into pro golf, much like we got with the great Max Homa. So hope you guys enjoy this. Make sure you rate and review the podcast, do all those types of things. And like I said, I'm looking forward to 2022 and beyond. All right, you guys all know Rick Riley from his Sports Illustrated days. I was an auto back page flipper. Back in my younger days, when SI would show up, I'd go right to the Rick Riley column like so many people would. And then, of course, his jobs at ESPN and his contributions to the game with all of his great books. Rick talks about the beginning of his career as a journalist and his first gig at SI covering, of all things, the 1986 Masters. Rick Riley is on the podcast for the first time. I did want to ask you a little bit about just your career through golf. Uh, and and, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, was your first gig or one of your first gigs at SI, the 1986 Masters, is that right? Oh, my God, yeah. That was my first golf tournament for Sports Illustrated. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, I covered pro golf, you know, the Denver Post, LA Times. But the first one I get, this is after Jenkins moved to Golf Digest. Right. 
is the 86 Masters, but it gets worse, right? So we have this piece of reporting that tells us Jack Nicholas is broke. So I got to go up to Jack Nicholas. He's coming out of the champion's locker room at Augusta. I'm, my knees are literally shaking. I want to just fall through the floor. I introduce myself and I said, Jack, uh, Mr. Nicholas, I hate for this to be my first question, but we hear you're broke. <laughs> I mean, this was my hero, my dad's hero. And he goes, son, come back into the locker room and let's talk about it. Wow. And he was really great. And he took me inside and he tried to explain to me about he was not broke. He was just over leveraged and a couple of deals had gone south and he was going to be fine. And that was all going to be sort of the middle of the piece. And then he set the world on fire and won the Masters at age 46. Yeah, one of the things you wrote in uh, in one of your books, I'm not exactly sure which one it was, but you had uh, you you answered some questions early in the front parts of the book, and somebody asked you a question, and you said, you know, always try to find something that not everybody's going to say. You know, don't use cliches, things like that. And it was something I tried to implement in my writing. But you mentioned at 86, it was a scoreboard, and there was there was a man on the scoreboard, and I think he was raising his finger or doing something, and that was kind of your starting off point for that, because again, you had to find something to basically explain the craziest golf tournament that still has ever happened and i just always found that very right, interesting well, imagine people don't realize now young people but you know back then the tournament would end sunday we wouldn't come out until thursday right, right. but so but, but there wasn't the internet so there was still they'd have the morning paper from their town and then usa today would they could read that and then they could watch tv so by the time i came out i had to give them a different look at it and so my one writing rule is Oscar Wilde, never write a sentence you've already read. And so I was waiting on 18 because I wasn't able to see him play 17. Remember, he, he runs the putt down with, and, his, and his big putter throws up in the air and all that. And um, so I don't get to see him at 17, but there's this giant roar from 17, and we don't know what's going on on 18. You know how the, the hand-lettered scoreboards at Augusta are all done by hand? So about 30 seconds later, up comes the new red nine under Nicholas's name, which gives him a one-shot lead. And the place goes crazy. But the guy that put the nine in there from behind somehow comes around to the side of the leaderboard and just sticks his arm out and starts doing like a, like a fist pump over and over. And the, and the crowd goes crazy with this guy's arm. And that's all we saw was the arm. But I loved it because it just sort of expressed the unbridled joy that the whole course was feeling like, you know, we were in Tiger at St. Louis this year. That was as close as I've ever seen to what Jack did in terms of having the entire course on your side. Right. And so that's what I led with. And uh, it just kind of gave it a, I met the guy with the arm because I was the arm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good job. You gave me a lead. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you helped me out for my 86 story. You wrote right. so much about so many events, went to so many. If you were going to go back and reread something you wrote, not necessarily a column that you wrote, but maybe a piece about an event, is there one that really sticks out in your mind that maybe was greater than anything you did or maybe maybe has, has always kind of lingered with you as this great golfing moment that you got to cover? Well, good and bad, like the Masters was so huge. I can remember guys gripping their haircuts and going, you know, it's too big. I can't write right. it. I can remember guys an hour into it still had nothing on their computers. It was just so big because, you know, he beat Norman, he beat Kite, and Norman was supposed to be the new Nicholas. And here this guy who hadn't done anything in 
since really 82, most people thought he wouldn't even make the cut. Couldn't even see the ball land. The most he had to the sun do it. This guy won. And he'd come from five behind on the last day. It was incredible. So I really, I really loved how that piece came out. And that's on deadline. You know, deadline is a bitch. You know? Right. <laughs> so that was on deadline. But then I remember um, when I gagged was the Ryder Cup. I felt like I, had, I, I didn't get to write the lead. I was writing the columns then. Ryder Cup, Brookline, that incredible putt. Uh, I was sitting right next to uh, Lehman. They never did run on the guy's line because I was right there. And I remember Crenshaw grabbed me by the shoulder. We we're on 17 green, right, at the country club. And he goes, on Francis's green, Rick, on Francis's green. <laughs> and I remember that Francis we met used to hop the fence there right, at 17 right, right. and putt and then play 18 and then sneak on. On Francis's green, he had tears in his eyes. And yet somehow when I wrote the column, I forgot that. You see, that's I a mulligan. Totally you, you, need, you need a mulligan there, for goodness sake. I sense. need a mulligan. And I wrote something else. And I, after it came out, like, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and sometimes you just you just screw up, you know? I, yeah, I understand. When, when you were doing the – how many years did you do columns for SI? Because it had to have been, what, 25, 30, 25 years longer? No, I was only there 23 years. Okay. But I did columns all 23 years. In fact, I think they didn't even start until I was there for a year. Okay. And I, you know, I said, you know, we got real, some really good short writers. We got Lee Montville, we got Steve Russian. These guys kill in 800 words. And so for a bunch of years, it was me, Montville, uh, Roy Blunt Jr., and Russian doing the, that back page. And then uh, they said, why don't you just take it over? And so I think I did it by myself for 11 years or something. And, and so once you started doing that, I mean, that was a lion that constantly needed feeding, man. You'd start the week with 20 ideas, and you know you'd be lucky to get one you liked. But it was really fun. I mean, you really got a lot of readership, and it was powerful when you did well, and it really stunk when you did badly. You know. Well, you, you know, so it, it, when you were, yeah, you, so that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, you you you'd start that on on. I mean, maybe you started on a Sunday or Monday, and deadline was what probably Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, how close were you ever to being? I don't God, I don't have anything this week. A lot. <laughs> A lot of times. And it was brutal. That's why, uh, well, Jim Murray, the great sports writer in L.A., he taught me something. He said, always have a couple ready. Nice. He said, have some just for the really rainy day. And uh, he was right. But it ended up biting my ass because uh, when I went to ESPN, I'd have my little file of three or four ideas in case a rainy day came along and there was nothing to write. And so I'm on vacation once. And they're like, hey, you got to send us a column. I'm like, I'm on vacation. Can't I have it off? And they said, no, you need something. So I dug into my, ah, oh, good ideas I haven't written. And I wrote it, you know, polished it up and wrote it. It turns out I'd written it before. Oh, no. And forgot to take it out of the stupid, <laughs> the stupid folder. So I thought about suing myself for plagiarism. Yeah, you should have. You should have. That would have been an interesting one to take to court. You, you've had, a, you've had an, I'd say, an interesting relationship with the Internet over the years. I mean, you, of course, were, and yeah. I'll, I'll say it, I'd say you're probably the most known sports writer from the era that was. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I flipped to the back page of SI. That's what I did every single week, and I'd read your story first. I'm sure you've heard that from a million people over the years. You Thank go from you. SI to ESPN, and, of course, uh, the Internet takes off. You've got Deadspin. You've got Twitter. Uh, now you've got completely different outlets, including a lot of podcasts. How would you describe your relationship with the Internet, basically maybe since ESPN on? I guess like everybody, it's love-hate. Um, 
the best guy I've ever seen with the internet is Simmons. Like this guy, and you know, he's a friend of mine. Like, how do you know this stuff's coming? Like he was like one of the first guys on Twitter and he was one of the first guys on MySpace. And then he got off. He just knows what's coming. And, but you know, as I always say, you know, did you have to write 8,000 words on Kevin Garnett? I mean, <laughs> he goes, oh, my, my readers just scan my stuff. I'm like, ah, I don't want to be scanned. You know, I want, to re- I want to write 800 good words. But anyway, so we differed on that, but he was really good about it. And one thing he'd always say to me is like, I'd be in some big problem on Twitter or whatever it was. And he'd go, Rick, everything on the internet only lasts eight seconds. Right. Hang on. And he's right. And so it would be, here, here's a good example. It would be great and it would be terrible. One time, the AD at Virginia banned signs at football games because the signs were saying, fire this coach, the head football coach they had. And I said, wait a minute, the University of Virginia or Thomas Jefferson, the one he began, one of the great champions of free speech, is not going to let you guys have free speech? I said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I said, hey, this was on the Internet. I, said, I think you guys should protest and hold up white blank signs with two minutes to go at the end of every quarter, you know, or wear T-shirts to say, this is my sign. Right. Or, or whatever it takes. And they did. They coordinated it, and they did it. And something like 20,000 kids wore white T-shirts or held up white signs. So that's the power of the Internet, that you could affect things immediately, right? Like I think I wrote it the day before. On the other hand, there's places like Deadspin who just live to make fun of you or catch you in a screw-up or whatever. And I always thought Deadspin's motto should be pissed at the people who got the jobs we wanted for 20 years now. Because it's like, really? <laughs> when you told your mom you are going to be a sports writer, did you think your sports writing would be just about other sports writers? Didn't you kind of want to cover real sports? So there's, there's good, there's bad, there's really good writing on the Internet. There's terrible writing. There's really great people on Twitter And there's really guys that are not good at it. So it's really opened up. Everybody thinks they're a sports writer now because you can blog, you can podcast, you can tweet. And so it's it's kind of diluted the field of sports writing, I think. Not that there are not terrific writers out there. There are. But there's just so many more. Yeah, I mean, it's, it. you know, what's interesting is, I mean, I was, uh, I'm 35, you know, when I was coming up. It was the age of, you know, when I was in college, we'd read Simmons. I mean, we'd read page two, my friend and I, and then I was introduced to Deadspin right. early. And, of course, I loved it because I thought it was hilarious and different. And, um, you know, there was obviously <laughs> stuff on there that they did that I didn't like, but there was stuff on there that they did that I really liked. And it's and it's and the Internet is continually transitioning, obviously. You, you know, you mentioned some, some great writers. What I found so fun is you had this unique ability to condense stuff to one page. And my favorite English class I ever had in college – that was how we had to turn in papers. It had to be double-spaced, one page. If it was two pages, you got an F. And on the flip side of that, and you mentioned Bill Simmons, could write 8,000 words about Garnett or you know Larry Bird or something like that, which I always found impossible because I just couldn't ramble on for that much and make it interesting, yet he could. And it, I, I love hearing that you guys are pals. I think there was always kind of a little bit of like, are these guys friends or do they hate each other kind of thing. Right, but it's right. completely different approaches to a little bit of the same cause in making sports oh, you're interesting so right. in a different way. You know, you're so right because we we came up in the business completely different. Like when I came up in the business, um, these guys, like these old guys, were still typing on typewriters. Like, ah, how can you do anything? That's not fair. You know, right on a right on a computer and you you know, we had to start at the top, kid, and go all the way to the bottom. And right. you had to hand your you had to hand your paper to the Western Union guy and you couldn't have it back, see? 
<laughs> so that's how it was. And we're like, eh, okay, buddy. So then I was the, you know, not before the internet guy and you had 800 words and you had to be brief and pithy and you still had to have an act one, act two, act three. It had to mean something. It couldn't just be a word salad and you had to, you had to fit it in there. It's like the old guy turn, turns into paper and goes, sorry, it's so long. I didn't have time to be short. <laughs> Because to be short and brief and pithy is hard. You've got to kill your darlings. You've got to get it down to something that boils down to the essential part of it, you know? You can't have any cliches. You can't have any bull in it. It's got to be solid. Whereas on the Internet, you can go crazy. In a lot of ways, that's a lot of fun. and a lot of ways, it's really wasteful. Did you battle with that at ESPN? Was that something that you found tough at times when you were given this opportunity to maybe, hey, hey, Rick, you can write two thousand words if you want on this thing? Was that was that a difficult transition, or did you were you able to yes. handle it and make it your own? It's like the guy that spends ten years in jail and can only make the eight footer, <laughs> but anything over ten is just too long. He can't do it. Right. That's how I was. I couldn't stop writing eight hundred words, and my editor would be like, "No, you you can really let it out. I mean, you know, have fun with it. Go two thousand. I'm like, I can't. I just can't. And it's funny because I came up in the business as a feature writer. So you could go, you know, they'd give you two months. If you can imagine this, Shane, we would get two months. You could fly first class. They <laughs> wanted you to take people to dinner. They wanted you to spend your expense account and you'd write, you know, 5,000 words and they would be choice. But then when I became an 800 word guy, I just couldn't lose that habit. And even today, writing, you know, a book or I write screenplays now in movies. It's kind of hard to let yourself go. Just a different approach, I can only imagine. You mentioned sports writing. Are you still, I know you're, you, you told me before you got going, you're retired, but you obviously are still doing stuff. Uh, are, you still, are you still very much into sports? Do you read sports? Do you still watch it on TV? I know you still play some golf here and there, but I mean, is it still a passion of yours despite not really being involved in it like you used to be? Yeah, it's, it's maybe better. I mean, I can watch a Super Bowl now and go to my friend's house for a party and have three beers and, and run the pool and laugh. And I get to finally see the ads. I never used to have to get to see the ads because you'd be out in section 511 at the right. Super Bowl and you can't see. Yeah. And same with the Masters. I always say, you know, the first 30 times you go to the Masters, it's fun. And then you're kind of sick of it. These guys <laughs> like the great Dan Jenkins just died. I think he went to 56 of them or something. It's crazy. I mean, they they they've, they went to the gone to the and and I mean, how many iterations of Augusta National they've seen? How many iterations of the Media Center they've seen? And, and right. chairmen's and and the and the range and all of these sorts of things. It's just uh, it's got to be crazy to view the sports landscape like you have from the Jack Nicholas days. You know, you know, right. with Arnold Palmer and Watson and Norman, and now you've got Tiger, and then you know we get Tiger versus Rory over the weekend. What do you feel like the golf world is right now? Do you like it more than you used to like it? Do you like it less? Do you like the personalities that are in golf? Do you wish there were more of those personalities? Oh, I like it more. I mean, I think there's so many better players. The field is so much deeper. My God. I mean, when I first started, it was you know Nicholas and Floyd and Watson, and that's about it. I mean. <laughs> It just is so much stronger now. And that's what bothers me about this tiger infatuation, like, you know, covering golf last year. I kept saying to other reporters, like, why are you guys riding tiger? He's probably not even going to make the cut. Meanwhile, this kid Rory or Fowler or Justin Thomas is just lighting the place up. And there's going to be a fantastic battle between these young guys that are all terrific. And you're not even writing about them. He goes, they all, and always say the same thing because People want to read about Tiger. 
but this was when he was not even coming close to breaking an egg right. some days. And you'd be like, why? And so it bothers me that people somehow think without Tiger, there's nothing to watch. This is some of the greatest golf I've ever seen week after week. It's some incredible performance. And I, I'm really, I wish people would wake up to there's more to life than Tiger. Well, it's a ticking time bomb, and and it's funny. I, I've I've preached very similar things to than what you're saying. That you know, Tiger is great right now. That he's involved and he's competitive and he won and you know he's he's playing well and he's doing all the things he's doing. But what do we get? Three more years out of this? Five more years out of this? If we're lucky, eight more years out of this? And then he's going to go away again, and we're going to look at golf and go, okay, now what do we talk about? Because we're we're passing over a yeah. lot of the guys you mentioned, and it's every single yeah, year. You might miss a guy that. It's doing incredible stuff. We're going to have, we have to look ahead. I mean, it's Bezos, you know, Bezos and Amazon were looking 30 years ahead. They weren't looking two years ahead and that's how they built the empire. And I'm scared that <laughs> right. golf is going to be this place that in three years is looking in the mirror going, okay, now what do we do? You know, and who do we talk about now? What, what's the player's names again? Because the, it, it's been pushing this down the throat, but Rick, I appreciate you said you're <laughs> writing scripts. Are you doing movie scripts? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Movie scripts. So I think, I think I've sold three, um, but, you know, it's hard to get them made. I had one made called Leatherheads with George Clooney, a football movie. I remember that one. And then I've got a golf movie out there it's called Missing Links based on my no- novel about four guys that play the worst course in America. And then a basketball movie set in the civil rights movement. So it's fun. It's, it's fun to branch out and try new stuff. I'm learning Italian, playing piano, doing a lot of stuff. It doesn't require me to be in Augusta, Georgia. That's right. That's right. Uh, but that's Rick Riley. Rick, I really appreciate the time. <laughs> What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. 
From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back to Good Grip. I wanted to just share a bit of my conversations with the iconic Jim Nance. We dove deep into 1992. Jim tells an unreal story about Fred Couples, not just the week that he wins at Augusta National and wins the Masters, but the week before and what Fred Couples was doing with Jim Nance at that time, getting into a little bit of trouble together, having a little bit of fun as a couple of 30-year-olds. I think you're going to enjoy this story if you haven't heard it already. I wanted to go back to 92, Jim, and I know you get a lot of questions. I know you've talked plenty about your relationship with Fred Couples and you guys in college and, and chatting about possibly being in this in this position before. Maybe I missed this, but I had never read or seen <laughs> the Final Four story until this week as I was prepping for the podcast. Can you enlighten people on Fred Couples' 
job, if you will, a few days before he went on to win a green jacket? Yeah. Well, that was something we had talked about a long time. And he uh, was the co-runner with Blaine McAllister. Now, you know Blaine because you follow the game so closely. And Blaine's playing uh, on the senior tour events now. But he won five regular tour events in his day. And, and Blaine and Freddie both came to Minneapolis. It was the year that uh, Duke was going for back-to-back championships. And standing in their way, ultimately, on Monday night, were five freshmen from the University of Michigan, the Fab Five. So that was the final four. They came to to Minneapolis. And they actually traveled there with Dick Harmon, the late Dick Harmon, such a great guy, and Charlie Epps, who was Blaine's teacher, and later Angel Cabrera's helped Angel win a green jacket. So (laughs) the short of it is, on on Saturday, they were credentialed. And... uh, it was just a bunch of college kids basically all <laughs> over again, uh, living out a dream. You know, they knew from my days sitting in Tob Hall, T-A-U-B, Tob Hall, in our little dorm suite. That sounds glamorous when you say the word suite. It wasn't, <laughs> trust me. Uh, it was like an old army barrack, but uh, we were in rooms 101 and 103. Uh, and And all of a sudden, even though we're now a little more than 10 years removed from that, we're just kids again. I can remember staying at a downtown Minneapolis hotel and the site for the games was the metrodome in, in minneapolis right. and it was a good one mile walk maybe uh as memory serves but that, that's no longer that structure is long gone but we decided to walk it was a nice day you know in early april in minneapolis and we walked and they took turns carrying my briefcase <laughs> and uh you know they had ball caps on and they were having fun with the fact that uh you know their buddy uh they were going to make me into a big shot yeah, they were going to try to create this aura like hey folks move aside please you know on the <laughs> sidewalk and people weren't recognizing them you know it was like excuse me but like they were running interference and security for me excuse me excuse me Jim Nance isn't you know which is embarrassing as can be but we got to the uh, arena and we found their seat locations which would actually would be right to the side of us. I was calling the games back in those days with the great Billy Packer, just a, a dear, dear friend and a legend. And I had those days were just glorious for me, but uh, Billy was a big golfer. His son, Brant, you probably know is a Absolutely. really talented producer uh, uh, for NBC and golf channel. I'm so proud of his career, but uh, Billy was always into the game. So he gave them a few assignments when we first got there. You know, hey, guys, I don't have the latest stats on <laughs> on Indiana. Could you go back in and bring those out? And, you know, they thought he was being serious. He had them truly running. Go get this. Go get that. Uh, Jimmy, what do you need? You need a cup of coffee? Yeah. <laughs> they both would take off. Not, you know, one of them wasn't capable of going and getting a, a coffee. So uh, they took their role very seriously. It was a, a bit, though, unfortunate as we got closer to the first tip. The other teams there besides Michigan and Duke were uh, – Cincinnati with Nick Van Exel and uh, in Indiana, Bob Knight had a team in there um, that made a great rally on Saturday, almost got through to the championship game. But uh, people started to recognize, of course, Fred, especially the media. He was ranked number one in the world at the time. <laughs> uh, he had already won a couple of tournaments. He won Bay Hill, as I recall, by like nine shots, maybe. He had won L.A. I believe that was one of the years where he contended, was in a playoff with Davis. So he's ranked number one in the world at that time. And now here he was days before Masters week. And yeah, he's working as a runner. And uh, that night on Saturday night after the games ended, uh, they, they, I, I don't know what their plan was, but they ended up sleeping on a sofa and on the floor and alternating between my room and <laughs> at that downtown hotel and sleeping uh, in the concierge 
uh, right there, right there on on the same floor that I I was residing. So just a couple of kids. It's what it was, you know, in our early 30s. And on Sunday, they were still talking about maybe sticking around for the Monday game. Sunday, they both came down. Freddie showed up wearing an Indiana cap. I think Bob Knight came over and said something to him <laughs> at the table. Um, yeah, I don't think I finished that. But a lot of the media saw Fred there, and it became almost like an impromptu series of interviews. You'd get the national writers like John Feinstein, who was there covering right. the games, and Mike Lupica, and it was like one after another. And I don't think the NCAA like that too much. <laughs> it's kind of taken away from their event. And uh, the celebrity runner uh, role was kind of eliminated. Uh, that was it. That, that was the end of that. I, it I, was I, it. I was waiting for you to now ask Dustin Johnson to get you a Wi-Fi password or something. It just, it's a little different, a little different <laughs> time now than, than the 92. That right? I could use, you know, but I can remember when Freddie left, I said, I do remember, and he would remember this too. I just, I try to be uh, judicious. And when I put a thought into his head, it was throughout his career, you try to send little messages like you would back in college, you know, as a friend, just a word of encouragement. So I know the last thing I said to him on Sunday was, Hey, this is the week, man. This is the week that we, we used to practice and rehearse. So, uh, I'll see you, but I'll see you for sure. Sunday in, in Butler cabin. I've used that line a few other times on some other guys, you know, I'll see you Sunday around seven o'clock <laughs> in Butler cabin, but first time I ever said it was to Freddie, just to give him a thought, get him back in a little golf mindset and let him know that this was the time. And, uh, April the 12th, that Sunday, it was his time. And it was just an amazing, amazing experience to, to watch your friend reach, reach that lifetime goal. And it just, I get to the times of my life. I think about that as like the most special moment of my career is to be able to be in the cabin and, and uh, watch someone that you, you love as a brother achieve that moment it was it was very special it always will be and i can imagine as special as it was as a broadcaster as someone fairly new to this job this role it was probably in a way tough to be objective to not you know throw yourself right into it because i mean it was i'm imagining you being emotional and you being so into every shot the ball hanging up on the hill there at 12 i mean it probably was difficult to do your job well and balance both roles. They had to finish the third round on Sunday that year. Freddie was playing with Craig Barry. Of course, uh, had a lot of water on it. But, yeah, he used to spark some thoughts. I can remember really late in the broadcast, I was getting jittery about this pending possible green jacket ceremony. And the weight of it, it sounds silly, but, you know, you do these interviews so well and you, know, you do think them through and you, you want to do them right you want to do them professionally but I began to kind of overthink it and process it and uh, so after he played in the morning with Craig Perry you know he was in a battle with Raymond Floyd in the, in the final round and around the 14th or 15th hole I started to get a sense that this was actually going to happen and I believe it was Ben Wright who was at uh, you know 15 back in those days he brought me in at some point, uh, I was only in Butler cabin at that time. It's not like today where I do Butler cabin and run up to the 18th and then come back for the end of the show into the cabin. I was just the host and I would interview players and bring us on the air and things like that. Do some resets out of, out of commercials. But Ben asked me a question about, you know, you've known Freddie a long time. What would this moment be like to him? And I, I've never gone back and watched the broadcast in part because I, it gets me nervous. I get that anxious feeling, but I, I remember not answering that question on the air with much uh, erudition. I sounded uh, 
less than I think professional. Maybe it wasn't that I inserted any personal beliefs. It just I, I, I just I don't think I sounded as though I was an experienced broadcaster. This was my seventh Masters at this point, uh, and was going to be my fifth Green Jacket presentation. And I realized I was so focused on what he was doing, I wasn't ready. Right. And it was probably a 30-second answer I would love to have back again. I guess one of these days maybe I'll go back and hear what I said. But I, I remember kicking myself a little bit and saying, man, that was not like high-quality commentary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you got to get a grip here, man. You, <laughs> pretty soon you're going to be on camera trying to get through this. So and when I came into the cabin, it was hard. It was truly the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my career. And I grew from it. As you know, I think it's true in any walk of life, when you face an adversity, let's just isolate it here to your job, and you get through it, and you get stronger, and you, you get tougher because you were able to survive it. And I don't, that's probably not the right word, but you grow from it, you learn from it. That particular situation in the cabin, I really felt like I was on the brink of a meltdown, like just a, like overjoyed and so emotional about what it meant to Fred. I, I really thought I might have a hard time. Uh, kind of holding it together. But I did, and I didn't say anything on a personal level until the very end. Um, my last question, uh, as, as Frank Trichinian said, last question, and give him the jacket, <laughs> my earpiece. I said, I think back to our days at the University of Houston. I wanted to get a lot of the guys kind of into this moment, somehow to be represented there. I think of Paul Marchand, who was Freddie's teacher and a former teammate and greatest guy of all time. I think of Paul Marchand. I think of Blaine McAllister. I think of John Horn. Even I, we all used to say, someday you're going to look great in a green jacket. And Fred <laughs> put his hand over his eyes to shield his ability to look at me and really turned his head, too, away and said, well, you know, Fred always kind of starts things out with a well and buys himself some time. And, and he said, well, I always kind of, this was the tournament meant the most and always thought I could play. Uh, it was a very pedestrian kind of straight answer because Fred was feeling the same thing that I was. We right. talked about it post with many times. He was afraid of that interview. He was afraid that he could hold it together, but he did. And uh, I, I turned it over to Mr. Stevens, Jack Stevens. And I, I was still in such stunned belief. I didn't even get out of my chair. I don't know why. Everybody was standing up saying <laughs> the green jacket. I was still sitting down like I was in the days. And, um, and I said something on the air about it. it's a perfect fit. I think they had given him a jacket that would have fit Woozy, who was the <laughs> 91 champion. It was about just like, below his elbows. And Fred was about to say, well, not really. Um, <laughs> but we, we signed off and had a hug. Uh, uh, I didn't realize the cameras were still on us. And it was a magical, magical, magical day. My favorite, my favorite day of my career. Really, really amazing. I've got a couple more questions. I know you're you're a little tight on time, but I got a couple more for you if that's okay. Sure. I uh, I did. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie to you when I say uh, I may or may not have sent an all caps text message to Max yesterday when the pairings came out because he gets Fred Couples this yeah. week, and I was thinking, right. you know, Freddie has to be a top five pick for anybody playing in their first Masters for a Thursday and Friday grouping. I mean, it you couldn't ask for someone better. To play with, you know, Max is from California. He's a Dodgers fan. I just feel like that's going to make Max more comfortable getting a chance to walk around Augusta National with this legend of the place. I think that your read on that is 100% accurate, and I'm excited. I saw that too. Um, 
and I look forward to getting to know Max better uh, in the years ahead. And that's going to be a, a big couple of days for him. And he, he did draw the perfect guy to play with because Fred will be so concerned. Of course, he'll care about his own game, but this is who he is. He'll be overly generous to make sure Max feels super comfortable. And, he, and, and I know Max will enjoy having the chance to talk to someone and maybe divert some of the pressure into things like the Dodgers. And you've got the most willing guy in the world to be able to talk about, you know, not only the golf course and situations and the pressure of it, but when it comes to sports, Fred's memory bank runs really deep. So I'm excited for Max for that, for that pairing. And yeah, he won't be uh, melting down like, uh, like I was, he, he will, uh, he will have a grip and I hope he plays great. Jim, I really appreciate the time. I know, I know you're, you're very busy. Thanks so much for uh, for the, for the time and the stories. You're nice to say that, and I'm a big fan of yours. And I appreciate your passion for the game. And and uh, when I hear you, I relate so much to kind of what runs through my veins and my my uh, you know this lifelong love affair with the game. I know you have it and admire that. Admire the way you're able to articulate it. Thanks for having me on. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks so much, Jim. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what yeah. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back.
we're back. I spoke with my good friend Scott Van Pelt of ESPN a little while ago. Scott is one of my favorite people in all of sports media. We had a fun conversation and broke down our five favorite Masters ever. This, of course, was during 2020 and the pandemic when the Masters was bumped till November. So we uh, we typically get together and talk about the Masters, and this was just us kind of looking through history and, and getting into our favorite ones. All right, last thing I'm going to do with you, I, I mentioned it earlier, I'm going to ask you for your five favorite Masters ever. Do you want to do you want to go back and forth with this, or do you want to just roll your five out? Well, yeah, are we ping-ponging back? Are you going to give me yours? Yeah, yeah, I got my five written down. Okay. What do you want to do? We can ping-pong, I'll rip yeah, my yeah. five, and you rip your five. Right, let's let's ping-pong. I'll let you start. I'll let you throw one out there. If, you have, if I have it on my list, I'll mention it as well. 97 for me is my favorite because it it's the first one and it changed the course of golf and my life because I hitched my wagon to the guy, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, 97, you know, what it represented, it wasn't just golf. It was, you know, societal. It was historical. It was all those things. It was the 100-year flood. And, um, you know, that to me is... I can't top it. And, and I mean, I could come up for reasons why there's others, but to me, there's no need to be cute. 97 is my favorite one. Yeah. And this is your, this is your list. Yeah. So my, my number one, you know, we haven't said 86 yet and I'm not going to say it for my number one. Cause I'm being truthful to the process. My favorite masters ever was Oh four. I was a left-handed golfer from East Texas. Phil was my guy. I looked up to him. I wanted to be like Phil Mickelson. I even sent a resume to the ASU golf coach when I was a junior in high school. Phil was my dude. Oh, four, number one for me. Okay. Well, that's on my list, but it's lower on my list. And um, two for me uh, is 19. And two, and the reason 19 is two for me is because one for me is 97. And, and if you told me that the 21-year-old guy who laid waste to humanity <laughs> would be at 43 with a bald spot, a fused back, and on the other side of a scandal of his own creation would have been this remarkable underdog story that would create the loudest cheers I've ever heard at a golf course. If you'd have told me that that would have been possible, I would have told you, you're out of your mind. And whatever it was that you were smoking, uh, I would like a gross of it <laughs> for my own personal recreation. So, you know, the sounds I heard that day, Shane, like tiger, tiger, tiger. I watched the, that Nance call, which by the way, he didn't do anything other than stop talking, but he was smart enough because he's Jim Nance to not talk for like four minutes. Like that's goosebumps, man. That's absolute goosebumps. And him and him with Sam and him with Charlie, uh, the best. that's why he did it. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted his kids to see him be the guy that they had heard about and they got to. And so 19 and 19 is very close to 97, but it's number two for me. So number two for me is 86. Now I was three years old at the time. So obviously I wasn't watching it live, but I think it's probably Mm -hmm. the most rewatched old sporting event I've ever had in my life of any sport. I mean, I've, I've watched it on TV. I have a DVR at the bottom of my DVR. My wife always yells at me to delete it. Now it's on YouTube. You can watch the final round. It is 86 Jack wild. Every shot was awesome. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, how can it get better than that, especially if you grew up a Jack person at all? I mean, if you were a fan of of the Bear, I mean, that was as good as it can get. And I feel like the finish is as good as it can get in golf with the way you did it. Um, this is a little sidebar. I watched the 2017 Open a couple of days ago. I feel like the Jordan Spieth finish doesn't get enough credit. I, I don't think that people talk 
about the way he played after everything that happened on 13 went birdie eagle birdie birdie par to finish and he was losing yeah he was he was six under for five holes right like yeah it was, was i think he was i think he was was he five he was five for four five or six for, for four whatever the hell he was it was a it was a joke what he did i'm with you like what he did it was funny we talked about that the other day at work because somebody mentioned speed and hit in the water on 12 i'm like yeah i get it i'm like you know when people want to talk about like oh he won't be the same after that i'm like go look at what he did in the open <laughs> Seven, years Kuchu ago yeah. great Kuchu didn't do one thing wrong and he didn't win like it was nuts um but all right so 86 is two for you 86 is three for me for all the reasons you said for me it was watching with my pop my dad was a jack guy you know back in the day you were either a jack guy or an arnie guy my dad was a jack guy uh and i watched uh the final round of the masters with my dad and uh you know i've talked a lot about my daddy i'd been here a long time he passed away when i was young so uh I, I've gotten a chance through the years to, to to know Jack a bit and talk to Jack and, and explain to him what that meant. And it, that's an incredible thing. Very few people will get that gift that I got to tell them how cool that was. Um, sidebar, um, the day Nicholas made the hole in one of the par three, he had, he came to interview uh, – on Sports Center with me, and I joked with him on the way out. I'm like, "Hey, you got any magic left in the bag, old boy?" And he's like, "Hey, how about a hole in one?" <laughs> and then he went out and he did it. And then I found out after the fact he had never had a hole in one at Augusta in anything, not in a competition, not in a practice round, not in the par three. But that day, I'm kind of needling Jack about, "Yeah, you got anything left in the bag?" And then he went out and made a hole in one in the par three that day. Yeah, I I feel like. You know, Tiger is, I think you and I are both in the same camp. The Tiger is the greatest golfer ever. I just feel like what he did for the run he had will never be matched again in this sport. It's just golf's not right. supposed to be dominated this way. It's too hard to be dominated this way. Mm -hmm. And everybody is too mm -hmm. good to, to beat all the time. But Jack's ability to do things like that, you know, you forget about 1998. He had a chance to win the oh, Masters no, had, in 98. He had a birdie. He had a I had a birdie put on 16 to tie for the lead. He didn't make it, but he had a putt. He had a putt to tie. For the he lead. was 58 or 59 years old, I, and he yeah, isn't yeah. the trivia that's that Jack and Tiger finished in the top 10. It's it's in the same event in 1998. It's just it's wild, but I just feel like those things. Jack saying, "Oh, why don't I go make a hole in one?" Or why don't I show you how to hit the putt when he did that exhibition and he makes the 80 footer? I feel like he's right. just always been able to do that. And I'm not sure I believe in magic, but when those things happen. I'm more convinced that magic is a real thing. Yeah, there's just certain people that have that gift, you know, that there's an ability that they know they possess. And I mean, we none of us will know what that feels like because we obviously don't. And that's what makes it that's what makes it rare. So that's three for me. Three for you. I'm going to go 2011. I just uh, I just remember it a lot. It's uh, it's, uh, you know, Schwartzel wins it. Birdies his last four holes. Talk about a finish. But there was all these guys that had a chance to win. Jason Day was there. Adam Scott was there. Of course, Adam Scott gets his Masters a couple years later. But I feel like in terms of excitement and nobody knowing what the hell was going to happen or who the hell was going to win it, that one was so much fun to watch from start to finish. You know, every Masters, when you rewatch it a couple years later, five years later, ten years later, there are great moments that you forgot about. 2011 Completely. has 400 of those in it. Well, Adam Scott had the lead on the 16th hole, I want to say. I believe he birdied the 16th hole and parred in, did nothing wrong, and still lost. That that's If you have the lead on 16 and you birdie, you're going to win. And he didn't because of what Schwartzel did. So uh, that's, that's a great one. It didn't make my list, but that's a great, a great point 
of things you forget. Um, four for me is, is already on your list, and that's Phil. The great call from Jim Nance. Is it his time? Yes. The the moment with Bones, the the, the patrons all fists in the air, and people speaking of what you forget, like he hadn't won a major, and you know certainly that 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 had gotten plenty of play to that point. But there was like this suggestion he was incapable of it, which was ridiculous. And of course, since then he's got a pile of them. Um, but you know that as a singular moment to grab it, that putt for me, that 2004 is four on my list. It's a good one. I've got a, I've got a, just a hat tip to people that yell at us about stuff just because it would have been a lot of fun to be there. 54, Hogan and Sneed in a playoff would have been pretty awesome. Uh, it would have been, you know, when you're talking about history, that's... Uh, oh, my God. I mean, I would, have, I, would have, I would have parked my chair on 16 early. I wouldn't have run. I wouldn't have run. But I would have done some no, massive you speed walk walking. briskly. Brisk walking, not, not... It's like a... I always, I always call it the world's largest pool deck. There is no running. <laughs> So I'm going to go, I'm just going to go 54 because again, when you look at the names and I always say the names, you know, they're all caps because, you know, everybody's legacy grows as they get older and, and, and move on to another life. That is one that just in terms of entertainment and the top two guys and all that 54 would have been a lot. It would have been very, very cool to have been a part of that masters. Well, I limited it to the ones that I had. I'm lucky enough to have some kind of uh, recollection of. And I, I wanted to close with one that I felt like probably wouldn't make a lot of people's lists, but it remains as good a finish as we have seen. And that is, you alluded to it earlier, actually, 2013. Go back and look at the people that were involved. Tiger finished top five. <laughs> Jason Day was in the mix. Angel Cabrera. Uh, well, first of all, Adam Scott Purdy's 18. Come on, come on, you Aussie, looking for his first major. He birdies 18. Cabrera just misses a birdie on 17, all right? I'm talking just misses. Go back and look at the video. He, it, it goes over the lip. Now, he needs birdie on 18. It's raining. He pipes a drive and absolutely stuffs his approach. He starts walking after the second after the ball leaves the club face. He's walking and talking the whole way. It's his son's on the back. So awesome. Huh? His son was on the back too, right? That's exactly right. Exactly right. And and he and he's just like walking after it because he just staked it, makes birdie. We're running out of light. Doesn't matter because Adam Scott's getting ready to bust one down 10. And he makes a gorgeous birdie on 10 in the playoffs win. And it's like that iconic shot in the darkness with the rain where he's kind of golf Jesus and he's standing there and he's jumping. Uh, if you remember the shot from behind Adam yeah, Scott. so good. The light. Here's what I want you to think about, about Angel Cabrera. He's a fascinating case study because he didn't play tons and tons of great golf. Right? I mean, I mean he's, you know, he's a, a really good player, obviously. But he's got a combination. All right? you're gonna, if you're going to win two majors, and you're going to win the U.S. Open, you're going to win the Masters, and you're going to win it at Oakmont, and, and you're going to win Augusta, obviously, then that means you are in the company of two men, Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan, who won U.S. Opens at Oakmont, <laughs> And the Masters. Wow! And he wanted he wanted at Oakmont. Go back and look what he did. Tiger was chasing him. Furyk was chasing him. He had the lead on seventeen. He has a cigarette. He chucks it down on the ground, old school style. <laughs> it's an absolute bomb off the tee. Hits his approach on the green, makes his par, gets out of dodge, and like everybody was crumbling because Oakmont makes you crumble. And he didn't blink, man. And that dude, like. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. And you can say like, anything. There's a line in the movie Snatch about there's two types of balls in this world. <laughs> big, brave balls. Okay, Cabrera's got big, brave balls. Yes, he does. And he showed them to you at Oakmont and the Masters. So he's on the list of 
Hogan, uh, Nicholas, and Cabrera. And that's who Scott beat that day with a putt on the eight. 10 pole in a playoff. That's why 2013 is my fifth on the list. And, and, it, and it might be the most photogenic final hour ever. I mean, you talked about the picture with the green jacket and his arms are raised out, but the fist pump, Adam Scott's bicep looked like he just does curls like two and a half hours a day, every day. Arms were huge. He's obviously this really strapping, good looking Australian. And you said it, a guy, not a great putter over his career, made two unreal putts. And the Cabrera iron in there that was like, ah, I got it. No big deal. I'm fine. Uh, Cabrera also on 18. Remember the, the one he won where he was 150 yards in the trees and he punched out, hit a tree, kicked into the fairway. That is one of the worst rewatchable masters. If you have any fondness for Kenny Perry, because my goodness, bogey 17. Yeah, that was, that's pretty gross. And that's, you know, that, that's what history will forget. If you don't have the kind of encyclopedic recall, you're like, you just remember Cabrera won. Well, you don't, I mean, Kenny Perry was supposed to win that and he didn't. Supposed to win it. My last one, 95, Crenshaw, second Masters, wins it, Pennock, the week after, all that. Hadn't won in a year. Uh, the reaction on 18, hands in his head. I, I'm, uh, I'm a romantic at heart. It was one of those moments that aren't supposed to happen in sports. You're not supposed to yeah. have things written that way. And the fact that it was pinned for Ben Crenshaw and he wins the Masters, you know, after, you know, one of his best friends passes away the week before. I just, again, I, I, I was moved, even though I was a young kid, and I and I love going back and kind of following that one again. Plus, anytime you get a chance to watch Ben Crenshaw putt for four and a half hours, you should probably do it because it's uh, it's pretty silky. It is that. I mean, that's a great one. But the beauty of any Masters list is that each person's list would reflect his or her own, you know, personal recollections. So that's I think that's what makes remembering this event more than any other so uh, worthwhile because it takes you back to that place. And I think if you like the game, if you love the game, then you know it's a place you love going back in your mind. That's for sure. Scott, I appreciate the time. Thanks as always. I look forward to these uh, conversations with you and uh, stay well until uh, we see each other. All right, brother. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that. Always fun to kind of dive back into, into the archives of the podcast and, and get into some of those great storytellers and, and the history of this and that and Nance and Van Pelt and all that. So hope you guys enjoyed it. hope you guys have a great week. I've got a little surprise for next week with the podcast that I think you guys are going to enjoy, so make sure you check back, and, uh, and we'll get back to you soon. Get a Grip with Shane Bacon is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.